five, six months ago, and I was reading, reading it and reading, and I've, we've heard this passage. We know, the, the, oh, you're the salt of the earth, and we've read that. And, and then a phrase in the middle of this verse jumped out at me. Look at it with me. It says here, it says, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. Now, that's a phrase I grew up. I'm, in, I'm from West Virginia, uh, southern West Virginia. It's a good uh, rural area, as you would say. And uh, it's definitely a phrase you hear all the time. Man, those good-for-nothing chickens or those good-for-nothing turkeys or those good-for-nothing foxes or those good-for-nothing neighbors or those good-for-nothing people or that good-for-nothing preacher down the road. You, you, you hear that phrase all the time. And so when I read that, I said, wait a minute, that's interesting. Here's the Bible. Here's God's holy word. And he says here, he says, there's something that's good for nothing. And I read it again, and I want you to look at it. It says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. And it was like the Holy Spirit dealt with me. He said, are we living in a generation of good-for-nothing Christians? And I had to take an account of my life. Am I living a life that could be called, could I be called, all oh, those good-for-nothing Christians? I'm afraid if we're not careful, what we have done is we have allowed our lives to become Christian lives that have amounted to not much. In fact, if we were to be true when it comes to God and to His way, He could look at us and unfortunately say they were good for nothing. And I pray this evening as we look at that phrase, good for nothing, and we think about it, about our lives, we take a moment and we reflect on our lives and we ask ourselves the question, have I become a good for nothing Christian? See, I don't believe any one of us would want to say, well, that's me. I mean, if we're being honest, that's the last thing that we want is for us to be able to say, oh, I'm a good-for-nothing Christian. In fact, we would, we would do everything in our power, in our ability, in our manipulation of the truth to try to say, oh, no, that's not me. I go to church. I'm not a good-for-nothing Christian. But there's one thing that God says in this passage here, and we'll look at another in just a moment, that qualifies us to be considered good-for-nothing. It's when we no longer serve the purpose to which we were there. The salt lost its savor. And God says, it's good for nothing. It's useless. It's pointless. It's without need. It does not serve the purpose to which it is there. And if we're not careful, what we do as Christians is we come in, we fill pews, we come in, we sing songs, we come in, we praise God, we come in, we fellowship but we never serve the purpose that God intended or has left us here on this earth to do. And I'm sorry to say, if we're not careful, we will and have become good-for-nothing Christians. Again, it's not something that I enjoy. I don't want to stand up here and look at you or look at myself in the mirror and say, you're good for nothing. I might look at these teenagers every once in a while and tell them, oh, y'all are good for nothing. No, I appreciate these teenagers. I appreciate their faithfulness and their encouragement to me. And I would look at them and I would strive and I would say, do everything in your power and your might, but at the end of the day, it's all about how you 
react to God and his word, and we'll see that in a minute. Please, 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 for your generation, for my children's generation, please do not fall and become a good-for-nothing Christian. See, we like, we like to be able to tote that word, Christian. I'm a Christian. But sometimes we forget that that means something. That doesn't just mean that God saved us. It means that there's something that comes along with it. You know, one of my favorite names to be called is Dad. That's, that's, that's my favorite thing to be called, really. I love it. It brings uh, joy to my heart. In fact, I have a little game I play with my kids. They'll say, Daddy, and I'll go, where? Or what? Or who? You, you're my dad. And I just love it. I enjoy it so much. And what the problem is, is that many of us have gotten so used to being called Christian that we forgot that it comes with a purpose, a role, a task to be done. We've fallen into a place where we literally might, if we're not careful or if we don't take a good account of our lives, to be called good-for-nothing Christians. And so we'll pray and then we'll look at a few things here in the Word of God that I believe will help us and encourage us and strengthen us. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, hide me behind your cross. Help me to say only what you would have me to say. Lord, may your Holy Spirit move and work. Help us to be yielded to whatever you have for us. God, help us to be salt that has not lost its savor. Help us to be a light that shines. God, may Gateway Baptist Church be known as a church, a group of people who are doing something for the cause of Christ. Lord, we love you. Go with us for the next few minutes. Lord, we'll give you the honor and the glory for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to ask you again, if I were to ask you that question, how do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a good-for-nothing Christian? I surely hope you would not say yes. I surely hope you would say, no, that's not me. That's not me. I, 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 I think I'm doing well. I'm doing good. I would hope, though, if I were to ask your neighbors, how is so and so? Are they a good-for-nothing Christian? Well, now that's a little bit skewed because first that takes into account what is the neighbor's viewpoint of a Christian. You know, we've got some people in this world who they think Christians are the absolute worst people in all the world. Of course, they're going to look at a Christian. If you're a Christian, they're going to look at you and say you're a good-for-nothing Christian regardless. But what about those people that maybe have a positive view of Christians or, you know, an average view of Christians? You know what? You want to know what a Christian should look like, talk like, ask like? Ask someone who's not a Christian. They'll tell you real quick. I I work uh, part-time, many of you know, with UPS, and I hear it often. I'll be standing around working and doing something, and somebody will use language that they shouldn't be used or tell a joke they shouldn't be joke, and I'll start to walk away, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot you're a a preacher or you're a Christian, and and, uh, you you don't listen to that or you don't use that word. I apologize. And, And I appreciate that they apologize. I do, and I appreciate that they recognize that, but it's always a reminder that they know who I'm supposed to be. The people who you talk to on a regular basis, the people you see, the neighbor you wave at or don't wave at, knows when you leave Sunday morning and you leave Sunday night and you leave Wednesday night. They know where you're going. They know where you say you've been. 
They see you when you get home and you take your Bible out and you're walking in, your Bible's in your hand. They tell by the way you act and the places you go sometimes. Well, they say they're a Christian. But are you a good-for-nothing Christian? Well, look at a few things here in this passage and in another that I think will help us. Number one, let's look at the potential, the potential to be good for nothing. Now, see, when we think of the word potential, oftentimes we think of potential as in, man, that guy's got a lot of potential. Uh, I think Pastor even talked about this not too long ago. Uh, it almost has a positive, the upside. Man, they have a lot of potential. But the word potential basically just means the amount to become or do. And the Bible tells us here that there is a potential for us as Christians, an opportunity, if you will, to become good for nothing. Look at what the Bible says in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but... Notice the next word. The next word, it's two letters. It's small, but it is pivotal in this passage. But if, if the salt has lost its savor. That means there's potential for the salt to lose its savor, but it also means that it doesn't have to happen. See, we sometimes get in this idea that, well, you know, Christians, that we, we get worn down and we're not always going to be the best. And no, we're still sinners. But you know what? We're still saved by the same grace of God that can keep us. Keep us from becoming good-for-nothing Christians. Last time I checked, uh, Galatians is still there in Galatians chapter 6 and, and where it talks about the liberty that we have and the freedom from sin. It talks about Romans chapter 6 where God tells us that we are no longer servants to sin. The, the truth is, is that we get in our mindset sometimes, we use our old sin nature as an excuse to do the very thing that we have been freed from. See, sin is no longer our master. Sin no longer holds us controlled. It no longer holds us captive. We are not bound to do that sin. In fact, God tells us that He has given us everything we need in order to not fall into that sin. And the truth is, is that what we often do is we let that cloud our judgment. We allow that cloud our minds and we say, I'm just a sinner. I'm going to go sin. And God says, that salt, if, if it loses its savor, it's good for nothing. There's a potential here for, for good for nothing. It's not an absolute. You say, why are we saying this? Because I want to tell you this. For those of you that are striving every day to live a life of a Christian life that's not good for nothing or good for something, if you will, some days it gets difficult, but keep on it. It's worth it. There's a reason, there's a purpose that God has left us here. There's a reason that God calls us the salt of the earth because He desires for us to salt the earth. He desires for us to preserve it, to seek out souls and tell people about Jesus and the blood that He shed for us and for you and for me. And He says to us, He says, Go, go into all the world. Be the salt. Preach the gospel. That's not just a thing that's been told to the pastor or to the staff member or to the deacon or to the Sunday school teacher. That's to every Christian. That's to every member of the church. That's to each and every one of us to go and give the gospel. I appreciate what pastor said this morning as the great reminder of when we see people, are we moved with compassion? Do we view them in the light that God views them as? We talked about that this morning a little bit with the teenagers in Sunday school class. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Pastor preached a fantastic message on Wednesday night. I texted him after the church Wednesday night, and I said, man, that message that you preached about having a healthy mind, uh, a healthy spiritual mind in that sense too, could be a perfect way, a perfect message as well at what it means to renew your mind. If you did that every day, you lived with a mindset of peace, a mindset of, of all those things that he went over, you know what? What you're doing is you're renewing your mind to look at the, the way God looks at, to putting in things that are good in your life, to have pure thoughts and well thoughts. And the truth is, is that we as Christians, we need to stop living our lives as in, well, I'm not capable of handing out this track or I'm not capable of giving out the gospel or I'm not sure or what will they say? What will, they re- what will, they, what will we do if they reject me? Go hand out a track to somebody else. We, we, need, we, we need to live in a life that says, who cares if they reject me in the sense of it's not going to stop me from giving it to them because let me ask you a question. Why don't we start looking at it as what if they accept it? What if, what, if that, what if that next person that you're wondering whether you should hand a tract to or you should witness to, as Pastor said, is ripe for harvest? Man, you want to talk about thrilling your soul? You lead someone to the Lord and it'll get you right back on fire real quick for what God's done in your life. I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I can do it. You don't have to be the best speaker. All you've got to do is tell about what God did in your life. You want, you, you want something pretty? I'm not a dynamic speaker. You talk about the grace of God in your life, and that's pretty dynamic. God moving and working in an old sinner who's hell-bound, destined for hell, and deserves, by the way, to go to hell, and giving them grace and mercy in their life, and giving them eternal life, that's dynamic. It doesn't matter how well you say it or how well you're not. There's nothing better than the blood of Jesus placed on someone's account. There's potential to be good for nothing. But in the fact that there's potential to be good for nothing, that means there's potential to do exactly what God's called us to do. Would you take your Bibles with me and turn over to Jeremiah chapter 13? I was looking at this phrase and and I was typing it in and doing some searching and I found it one other time in the Bible. Exactly like that. Good for nothing. And I thought it was interesting. You know, in, in Bible college and in hearing things, we often hear the phrase, compare Scripture with Scripture. It means taking a passage of Scripture and we see something in it and seeing if it's found other places in the Bible, comparing those two passages. It's interesting that sometimes you get phrases and you compare them and they don't necessarily have the same meaning, the same purpose, the same idea, the same thought. But it's kind of hard to have the same, not have the same purpose with such an interesting phrase like good for nothing. And so look with me, at, if you will, at Jeremiah chapter number 13. And look at verse number 8. There's a little bit of a background. God has spoken to Jeremiah in verses 1 through 7 and told him, I want you to take a linen girdle. I want you to put that girdle on and I want you to wear that girdle. Now the girdle was the piece that was closest to the priest at the time. It was, the, it was the piece of garment, it was the belt, if you will, and it was the closest to the body. And um, so he says, I want you to wear that, that, that girdle. Then he tells him, but I don't want you to get that girdle wet. Now in those day and ages in the priest, that was almost an impossibility for the priest not to get his girdle wet because that was the area right at the table as they would wash and cleanse their hands to prepare for sacrifice uh, 
water would splash up and water would splash onto the girdle and around. And so God says, don't get it wet. And Jeremiah does exactly that. He comes to him um, there in, in, in verse number 4 and he says, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise. Go to Euphrates and hide it there in the hole of the rock. So he says, take the, take the girdle and go hide it. Go bury it in a hole under a rock. We find out that God tells him again, In verse 6, it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and digged and took the girdle from the place which I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. Now that, that is a separate phrase. We're going to see it again. And so here is God... And one thing I appreciate about our God is that He gives us such pictures that are so easy to understand. Salt, a girdle, a tree, the light of the world. He's a master when it comes to giving us illustrations in His Scripture. And He says here, talking to Jeremiah, He goes on to tell, and we'll read it here in just a second, that the nation of Israel was this girdle. And God was the priest, and he held it close. But the girdle became marred when the children of Israel no longer served their purpose that God intended for them to do. God didn't choose the nation of Israel just to have a chosen people. God chose the nation of Israel to spread the gospel of the Messiah to the whole world, and they did not do that. And that's why God shifted his attention, so to speak, from the nation of Israel to the church, making it the new way, the new covenant at which he would push forth the good news of his salvation to all people, not through the nation of Israel, but through the church. Look with me at verse 8 at what God says here to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their hearts, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. Remember, there's a potential to be good for nothing. And sadly, the nation of Israel lived up to that unfortunate potential. But here in this passage, we see clearly that there was a number, a second thing, a path, a path to being coming a path to becoming good for nothing how did the how did the children of israel go from being that chosen nation that nation that was set apart that nation that was 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 given so many things that was taken care of on the backside of egypt when all of those other people were starving and famine was throughout the whole world in the time and egypt was given that one little insight to a young man named joseph to set aside corn and crop 
And God took care of the nation of Israel in its early days. He protected them for all those years and he brought them up out of slavery, out of Egypt. How did they get to the place where he took care of them and he fed them in the wilderness and he provided manna and he provided all the things for them that they get to the place that God looks at them and says, these are my children. These are the people that I have, I have done all these things and they're marred. How do they get to the place where God literally looks at them and he says, this evil people. They're like this girdle. They're good for nothing. And I'll be honest with you. It's one thing if you look at me and you tell me I'm good for nothing. It's a whole other thing when God looks at me and tells me I'm good for nothing. I would hate that anyone in this room would look at me and say I'm good for nothing. But it would break my heart if God impressed upon me that I had become to a place in my life where I was good for nothing for him and for his glory. And we see this path right here in verse number 10, this path to becoming good for nothing. Look at it with me. Let's look at the first thing here. It says, the evil people, look at the first thing, they refuse to hear my words. They refuse to hear my words. You know what that is? When the prophet stood up to preach the word of God, okay, we hear you, but mm, nope. I think I'll go do my own thing. That's great, Jeremiah. You're telling us about this destruction. You're telling us about the things that are at hand. You're, you're, you're trying to plead with us and you're trying to beg of us. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. And the Bible says, it says that uh, seek and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And we said, or they said, the Bible says, we will not walk therein. Hey, stick with what you know to be true. Stick with God and stick with what's right. Do what God has commanded us. Do the things that God has shown to be proven over years after years with the Bible and the Word of God. Stay with Him. Be faithful to Him because He's been faithful to us. Do those things. And you know what? Children of Israel said, I think we'll go do something else. You know what? We got a lot of Christians in today's day and age. Something else might look shinier. It might look brighter. It might look neat. It might look new. And we get to the place where sometimes God's just trying to talk and we say, you know what, God, I don't really like the way you're telling me I should do it, so I'm just not going to listen to you. Not this time. I'll listen to you next time. But this time I've already made up my mind. Or you know what else happens? We come to a passage of Scripture and we already have our preconceived notions. We have our presuppositions to what the Word of God or what we believe or what... We, you know, this is not what I believe. It doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what the Word of God says. Let's change what we believe to be what the Word of God says. And if what we believe doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, then we have no other choice but to change what we believe to be what the Word of God says. Now, You've heard our pastor say it. Somebody stands up in this pulpit and preaches something, search it out. Make sure it's true. Make sure it's right. Don't just take every word at grain value. Well, that's what the Bible says. There's a lot of people who've stood up and taken the Bible out of context because they've just said this is what the Bible says and they never searched. They refused to hear the word of God. If we're not careful, what happens is we stop listening or we refuse to hear the word of God. We, we kind of just turn a, an ear. We come, we sit in pews and we listen to preaching. We hear what God says, but... 
You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart or at least tries to and we never move, we never make action, we never change, we never move forward with what God has given us to do. And really what we're saying to His is, I could really care less about what you have to say to me. I'm at church though. I'm in my pew. I'm in my seat. I'm there. But you know what? I'm not going to prepare my heart to, to be. You know what I tell these teenagers all the time? I tell you the same thing. If you walk through this door not ready, not expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, you've already said no to God. You should walk through these doors. You should sit down in that pew. You should open your Bible asking, pleading, begging God to speak to your heart. And if that's, you've come any other way but that, then I'll tell you what, you've come already made up your mind that you don't intend to listen to what God has to say. And you've started down a path that if you're not careful will lead to becoming good for nothing. Not only did they stop listening to the word, look at what it says. They walked in the imagination of their heart. And people would go, well, that's a great thing. They're imaginative people. That's not what this means. We all know it. The Bible says over in just a few pages, if you will, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 17. Jeremiah chapter number 17. The Bible tells us something here in verse 9 that we don't want to believe, but it's true. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? We get to the part where we stop listening to what God has to say and we start, you know, this is just what I feel in my heart. You better watch yourself real quick because your heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked, the Bible says. It's not just wicked. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. I believe God put every word in the Bible for a purpose And when he says it's desperately wicked, he's saying the heart craves. It craves for that wickedness. It's what it earns for. It desperately needs it. It reaches out to find it. It looks for, hey, it desires to be, if you will, deceitful. Watch yourself. If you're doing making decisions based off of what your heart thinks, better be careful because if you have not lined it up with the Word of God, It's going to lead you to a case where you're going to become good for nothing. The Bible says they started walking after the imagination of their own hearts. And when we're not careful, when we start walking after our heart, instead of walking by faith, trusting God and what His Word says, it's going to lead us to sin. And it's the old saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay. and it'll keep you longer than you intended to ever be there. Oh, it's okay. Just this one time. I'll listen to God next time. Before you know it, next time is a long way away. Before you know it, you started walking after the imagination of your heart. And look at verse number 10 again here in Jeremiah chapter number 13. And it says, and walked after other gods. It's interesting, here in this passage, God doesn't say they walked after Balaam, they walked after Azeroth, they walked after this God or that God. or They just started walking after other gods. 
See, what happened was they stopped listening to God. They started listening to their own heart. And it took them a little further down the road probably than they originally intended to go. And then they got there and they go, hey, this God right here, he kind of lines up with where I'm at. The God of fame, the God of fortune, the God of money, the, the God of happiness. You put whatever God it is that we're tempted sometimes to walk after. The God of comfort. Mm. Little, little, little G God of comfort. Be careful there. There's no comfort in that God. I'll tell you where there is comfort. With the words of God. The one God who brings peace beyond all understanding. The one God who says, I will give you a comforter. Not one that leaves you. Not one that comes and goes. Not one where comfort is found in a thing or in a done. It's, it's comfort found in faith in Him. Oh, He abides in you and He dwells in you. That Holy Spirit. But no, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy to walk over here to this other God because, you know what? He, he lets us walk in the imagination of our own lives. He lets us walk as we want to walk. And these little gods, before we know, will lead us astray. You know what? I'm sad to say that I'm afraid that we as American Christians, I've said this, this in the past, that phrase, American Christians, we're kind of teetering right here between sometimes listening to God and running after other gods. I don't know. I, don't know. I just, you know, I, I enjoyed that service. It really made me feel good. Now look, there is nothing more encouraging and nothing better feeling than when we hear the word of God preach and God speaks to my heart. But when all we're doing is searching after the next feel-good service, we've come into a problem because I'll tell you what, the truth doesn't always feel good. And so if you say, I don't, I don't know about that preaching Brother Josh does. He just steps on my toes a little too much. Praise God for it. I'm thankful for a preacher and a pastor who's willing to proclaim truth as it is, to stand up and preach the word as God has laid it on his heart with no worries about whether, as he said, it offends. How many times have we heard him say, and I gave him a whole hearty amen, the truth is offensive. Not in a hateful way. Not in a bigoted type way. The truth is it's, it's offensive in a loving way. It's, it's offensive in a, let me tell you the truth and I'm sorry that it hurts, but it doesn't have to kind of way. And they went walking after other gods. I'm sure when they started walking after those other gods or walking in their imagination of their own heart, they never intended to go as far as they went. What does the Bible say in verse number 10? To serve them and to worship them. They went from serving a God that loved them and cared for them and redeemed them out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt and gave them food through the wilderness and, oh, by the way, provided the Canaan land for them and said, hey, it's yours, you take it, you go in and possess it, it's yours, I've given it to you because I own all things and I own the cattle on the thousand hill and all those sheeps and all the wealth and all the honey and all the wonderful things that is there in that land. It's mine to give. It's not the Philistines to give. It's, it's not uh, the children of Ammon to give. It's mine to give and I've given it to you so go in and take it and they said yeah but those are some big people right there and they're kind of ugly and pretty good with a sword so we'll just you know we'll figure out a deal we'll make an agreement with them we'll sit over here and we'll take this land and you live over there and you'll be okay yeah how well is that working for Israel right now and I'm, now look 
I wholeheartedly support Israel. I'm for them. But if they would have been obedient to God back in the day and just wiped them all out, the story would be different. It goes to show you the consequences of sin in your life. If you do what God tells you to do, you won't have to deal with the consequences hundreds of years, thousands of years later. And the truth is, is they went from serving a God who loved them and cared for them and wanted to provide them to gods who could do nothing for them. And it causes them to become what? A good-for-nothing group of people. They didn't serve their purpose. The Messiah come, and what did they do? They turned their back on him. The one thing that Israel had been looking for for all those years, the one person that was going to make the difference in everything that was going to bring them back, the one person that they were so concerned about seeing and knowing, and they missed it. Because they stopped listening to God and they started serving other gods. And before they knew it, instead of ushering in the Messiah and proclaiming who he was, they became good for nothing. And if you and I are not careful, God has given us an opportunity in 2021 to stand up and proclaim, let me tell you who the great God is. Let me tell you the one true God, the one God that saves souls and will forgive you and give you peace and comfort and joy like none other. He gives us opportunity every day to share the gospel and to be Christians who are good for something. But if we're not careful, we'll very quickly become Christians who are good for nothing. It's tough. It is tough. There was the potential for good for nothing and there was the path to becoming good for nothing. But you know what? Back in Matthew chapter 5, God gives us a little something. It's the protection from becoming good for nothing. He lets us know real quick how we can not fall into this trap, fall into this snare, if you will. Matthew chapter 5, if you'll look with me again here in the passage. Verse number 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? There's protection. Say, so what's the protection? If. Say, so wait a minute, that, that, was, <laughs> that was the potential. You want to know how to keep from being good for nothing? Don't become good for nothing. Say, so wait a minute, you're, you're confusing me. How does salt lose its savor? True salt. How does it go bad? It can't. It can't. I looked up. I I was reading this passage and I was like, you know what? What makes salt go bad? There's got to be something that makes salt lose its savor, right? So I I did some research from some salt experts, if you will. There are people, um, this particular article I'm going to read or or this passage, this paragraph I'm going to read comes from a company in Turkey that that's what they do. They mine salt. So if you will, they're salt. They, they know salt. They're, they're salt people. They're kind of salty, if you will. And this is what they said. We have emphasized that in its natural form, without additives, salt does not lose its saltiness or flavor. Consumable salt is a mineral compound consisting of sodium and chloride. It is extremely stable and therefore cannot lose its savor or degrade over time. Unlike spices, spices are essentially dried parts of plants that have a freshness factor affecting the flavor. 
As a matter of fact, the notion of salt losing its saltiness derives from the Christian Bible. It was a metaphor used as a religious lesson. However, salt could indeed lose its flavor in the New Testament times. The primary reason for this was because often salt wasn't pure. Salt might lose its flavor under certain conditions where it contains impurities. Other possible reasons might be that salt had absorbed humidity or moisture and eventually evaporated and left behind a substance that looked like salt but did not taste like it. But can salt go bad? The answer is both yes and no. Natural salts without any additives or without being watered down cannot go bad. And we live in a world where too many Christians have had something added to them that they shouldn't have had or they've become watered down. You and I are guilty of it. We want to take in our traditions. We want to take in our thoughts. We want to take in our mindset and add it to this Christianity that we call to be here. And what it is is we've allowed chemicals, we've allowed things come in, we've allowed these impurities, if you will, to cause our savor to be affected. Or we don't want to take the stands where God places the stands. We're not happy with the standards God has placed. And we say, hmm, I think I'll water that down a little bit. And if we're not careful, what happens is, instead of being salt that has its savor that can't go bad, what we've allowed ourselves to do is become salt that's become watered down or impure. And the truth is, before we know it, we're good for nothing. We're good for nothing. God says here in the passage, if you continue to reading Matthew number, chapter number 5, He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. He says, hey, you have a light. He goes on to verse 16 and He says, Let your light so shine. God says, hey, you want to be salt? Be salt. I've made you a light, so what are you supposed to do with it? Don't put it under a bushel. No, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And we're so busy as Christians. I've got to put that thing under a bushel. What if somebody sees me? What if my glow makes an impact in the darkness around me? What if it disturbs everybody in my neighborhood because I'm, you know... Who cares? Shine! Be salt with some savor and stand. Quit watering yourself down and being a salt with no savor. God intended for us to shine. That's why He put us on a hill. That's why He says in the passage, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Hey, you have truth, so take it. Tell the waitress that you talk to, Hey, God loves you. We live in a world where we want to talk about being divided. You want to know what what brings people together the most? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, God loves you. Yeah, but you don't mean that. I look this way or I talk this way or I grew up here. You know, God loves you. God loves me. He loves us all. And we as Christians, we go, I don't know about giving the gospel to that person. They don't dress the same way I do, or they don't look the same way I do, or they're a little scary. (laughs) Give them the gospel. 
You want to put somebody back on their heels real quick? Hey, God loves you, and he died for you. If you were to die today, that'll put somebody back on their heels real quick. God's given us everything we need to not lose our Savior. You know what it is? Live for him. It's that simple. It's that simple. But sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things we struggle with. And I'm afraid there are far too many Christians who instead of being a salt that says, I'm going to stay in a place where I can be good for God and for his purpose, we've allowed ourselves to become good for nothing. Paul said it. It was one of his biggest concerns. Lest I become a castaway. He said, I'm going to do this thing and and I keep my body under subjection. I'm the one who says what my body does. Why? Because I don't want to be, if you will, good for nothing. That's what he says. A castaway. That's literally what that term, castaway, thrown to the side, discarded, without use. He said, so what do I do? I bring my body under subjection. How did he do that? By yielding it to God. Your wills, your desires, your wants, your hopes, everything. Give it to God. See what he does with it. My question to you tonight is this. I believe I'm in a room full of Christians who truly desire to be good for something. I really do. The truth is, is this not a decision we make once? It's a reminder that we have to constantly come to this altar, die to self and say, God, I want to be good for something. I want to do something for you. I don't want to lead someone to the Lord. I want to lead my family to Christ to serve you and follow in you. God, help me. If that's you tonight, in just a few moments, we're going to pray, and I'm going to encourage you. You come. You say, I've done that before. It'd be good for all of us to come again and do it again. Beg God and get down on our knees and say, God, help us to be Christians who never become good for nothing. Would you bow your head and pray with me?